Hi, I'm Mark. Thank you for joining me on Words of Truth. You know, in the Constitution of the United States, Thomas Jefferson selected a phrase that I'm sure all of us have heard many times, no matter where we live on planet Earth. Well, just about. It was the phrase, the pursuit of happiness. He selected that phrase to describe one of the unalienable rights of man. But the fact of the matter is that this is an idea that comes with a long history behind it. Since the time of Aristotle and before, one of the conditions that all of mankind has taken for granted is the pursuit of happiness. However, for the Greeks and for the biblical writers, happiness was an objective reality and not just a feeling or some kind of emotional state of being. Today, we'll often hear people use the phrase, well, whatever makes you happy. That phrase would have sounded like nonsense to the Greeks and the Hebrews and the early Christians alike, since it implies that there is no fixed moral order where happiness can be found. Now, you might already know that the word and the idea of happiness from a biblical perspective is roughly synonymous with the idea of being blessed. In classical and medieval Christian ethics, happiness referred to a state of a person flourishing or well-being, and it aligned with a person with the truest or highest good. And a person who is happy had to order their actions and thoughts and desires and ambitions in light of happiness being the end result. And so you can see how happiness became an ethical, not a psychological project. So to pursue happiness meant you were pursuing the reason for your being, but that also your desires and your actions needed to be corrected to obtain it. It meant that mankind didn't instinctively pursue the truest good, and that some pleasures in life weren't really in keeping with the most essential characteristics of one's nature. Now, in Christian terms, the pursuit of happiness means recognizing that God has created us to flourish as we walk in obedience to him. And as we do that, the image of Christ is then displayed through us. You see, from the very beginning, sin and disobedience to God alienated us from our truest identity in Christ. And that means that the only way we can truly experience happiness is by experiencing God's grace. It isn't something that we can just conjure up in ourselves, in our own strength. Oh, I think I'll be happy today. No. Why? Because sin has a disorienting effect on us. And that's why happiness can't be obtained by getting a better job or nicer or more things or anything else that we can do on our own in the pursuit of happiness. Some people, they will leave their spouses for another mate because, well, they think that'll make them happy. Other people will live, leave their good-paying jobs because they weren't happy, and they think they'll find a different one that will make them happier. 
that's actually what's happening in a lot of the world right now. It's being dubbed the Great Resignation. In the United States, 4 million people have left their jobs because of dissatisfaction. But you know what? You, you can't find happiness in any of those ways. From an historical perspective, happiness is really a function of sanctification and growth in obedience to God. No doubt the perspective comes as a total shock to some people today, and even Christians. But my question is how a nation that has often been assumed to be a Christian nation, and, and which by all accounts is, is consumed with pursuing happiness, has acquired such an anti-Christian understanding of what it means to be happy. I think that part of the answer is directly connected with the revolution in ethical thought that, well, took shape during the 18th century in the Enlightenment culture in which Jefferson was at home. It was a time when philosophers were abandoning the idea of an essential human nature that defined human ends. In other words, in a sense, it was the abandonment of the idea of sin. You see, Enlightenment thinkers were quite willing to talk about, in the words of our one of our philosophers, untutored human nature as it is. And instead, they wanted to base their understanding of ethics and politics uh, on, a, on a picture of a fundamentally innocent human nature. It was a time when the freedom of the individual was becoming the ultimate good, both for individuals and for society. It was a time when people were committed to the idea of the individual being sovereign in his moral authority. And it's in that context that the idea of the pursuit of happiness took on a whole new meaning. It came to mean that whatever a person thought it to be was what it is. No longer was it defined in terms of a fixed purpose for human nature, but it came to take on the meaning of the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of fun or an emotional state of carefree bliss. And this state didn't need to be connected in any way to the ethical choices one made. Today, it looks as though people are committed to pursuing this kind of happiness by means of making bad ethical choices, like committing adultery, by dishonoring their parents, by killing their unborn children, by abusing their own bodies. And with that kind of a mindset, happiness has become nothing more than a mood, or by sustaining the mood, it's the pursuit of the highest good. Now, shift to the 21st century where we have mass media and abundant forms of entertainment. In this environment, the pursuit of happiness as fun has become a type of moral imperative. In the mid-1950s, the psychologist Martha Wolfenstein wrote about the emergence of what she called fun morality which takes the place of the old-fashioned goodness morality, which she said stressed interference with impulses. Not having fun 
is an occasion for self-examination. What, what's wrong with me? Whereas gratification of forbidden impulses traditionally aroused guilt and failure to have fun now lowers one's self-esteem. So not only has happiness become detached from objective human ends and identified with personal pleasure, the pleasures assumed to be the source of happiness are increasingly the most trivial and fleeting. And so you can see how bowing to the rules of fun morality makes the traditional pursuit of happiness obsolete. I mean, things like learning how to play a new instrument or reading a good book or planting a garden. I think it's pretty obvious that people today who have bought into the idea that happiness can be custom built with instant payoffs uh, haven't really worked out very well for them. In a recent essay entitled The Pursuit of Emptiness, John Perry Barlow wrote, of my legion friends and acquaintances who have become citizens of Proact Nation, Prozac Nation, I should have said, I have never heard any of them claim that these drugs bring them any closer to actual happiness. Rather, they murmur with listless gratitude. Antidepressants have pulled them back from the abyss. They are not pursuing happiness. They are fleeing suicide. And the same author did an experiment of looking for smiles on the faces of people in the upscale organic supermarket in San Francisco. In 11 months, looking at thousands of faces, he reported that nearly all of them healthy, beautiful, and very expensively groomed, he counted seven smiles, three of which he judged to be insincere. Instead, he said that he sees, quote, a characteristic expression of troubled self-absorption, which has become a nearly universal mask. In other words, trying to find happiness on our own terms instead of the built-in nature that God has given to us is an exhausting and disappointing undertaking. As followers of Christ, we're uniquely positioned to address this need for happiness in society. You see, we believe that we've been created to find meaning and happiness in the knowledge and love of God and that we find true happiness by walking in obedience to his commands in the Bible. But happiness is also found in knowing that we live in a world that has been broken by sin and that true happiness will also involve suffering and persecution and sacrifice. You see, our happiness isn't a right but it's a gift from Jesus Christ, who is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In fact, I don't ever recall reading in the Bible when Jesus asked his disciples, huh, are we having fun yet? But he did teach them that faithful servants would enter into the joy of their master because happiness is aligned with God's purposes for our lives. Jesus said, if you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his, his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, it's in the pursuit of this single-minded faithfulness and not a simple-minded fun that is the true road to human happiness.
Thanks for listening today. I hope that you'll join me again next week. And hey, why not bring along a friend?